Du lyssnar på en podcast från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra poddar och program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. In the field of human conflict, but so much owed by so many to so few. Utrikespolitik. Det är inga pajaskonster. Det är inte hehe och hehe. Hi, I'm Jana Pegel. I'm a master's student at the Russian and Eurasian Studies program here at Uppsala University. Welcome to Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9. And today we're going to be talking about Latvian politics and more specifically about the elections that just took place in early October. And with me, I have some distinguished guests, and I suppose that they could introduce themselves. Matthew Cott, historian and researcher at the Institute for Russian and Eurasian Studies, Uppsala University. Um, I'm an expert in uh, Latvia's contemporary history. Yeah, hello. My name is uh, Lara. I'm actually an, an an exchange student from the University of Tartu. I study international relations and also specialize in the Baltic Sea region. And I'm very pleased that I can be here and do my very first podcast in my life. Yes, and this is David. And this is my second uh, radio episode. And I'm a student of political science and uh, linguistics. So we have a very eclectic and buzzing conglomeration of students and teachers alike with us today. And well, we will certainly dive into the details and the nitty gritties of the electoral system of Latvian politics, about the results and what the Baltic states and Latvia specifically is in terms of its geopolitical position and more. But I suppose that Before we immerse ourselves more into that, we'll go into a little music break. You're listening to Radio UF, Studentradio 98,9. My name is Jana, and the song you heard, just heard, was by Barry, Unholy Appetite. We, indeed, we do have an unholy appetite for learning uh, more about uh, Latvian politics. So I'm going to turn my first question to Matthew Cott, our distinguished guest for for today's episode. What is Latvia, if we look at it from a political perspective what does the electoral apparatus look like what is the political system and why should we care about it would you say well to answer the last part of your question first i mean latvia is one of sweden's neighbors it's just across the baltic sea it's a small country of about two million people that up until 1991 um, was part of the soviet union and regained its independence and uh, has in many ways been one of the success stories of the post-soviet state Um, How does the political system look there? Latvia is (coughs) a parliamentary democracy. The president is elected by the parliament, so it's an indirectly elected uh, president. So it's a real parliamentary system. The the head of government, the prime minister, is actually the most powerful figure in the country. The the president's role is sort of semi-ceremonial, which is different from some of the other... Um, Baltic states, where, for example, in in Lithuania, you have a more presidential republic. 
um, its proportional representation. Um, the system actually is very closely based on the Weimar uh, system from the interwar period um, when the original Latvian constitution, which was uh, enacted in 1922, um, was uh, inspired by this sort of whole spirit of democratization after World War I. And this constitution was reinstated after Latvia regained independence in 1991. So a lot of the flaws of the interwar uh, parliamentary republic have been actually replicated today. That's very fascinating to hear all this uh, detail and all these associations that you have as a historian. And I'm just thinking, Laura, since you're um, a student of international relations and especially the Baltic region, uh, how would you interpret this kind of question or uh, elaborate on the thread that that Matthew sort of threw out here? Yeah, well, Latvia, first of all, since I lived in Estonia now for four years, Latvia, of course, is also a neighbor of Estonia. And it's one of the Baltic states, and uh, so the relationships between Estonia and Latvia are really relevant for the Estonian foreign policy as well, what I can say from from my studies and from my experience. So when it comes to to Latvia, I actually have, I would say, politically a close relationship to the system and and ongoings because it it does affect Estonia also um, directly. So uh, when it comes to to Latvia, what is interesting, and Matthew also mentioned some flaws, is the relatively fragmented political landscape that we that we see in Latvia, which is also I think a topic for today's podcast because it is it is quite interesting what is going on. And I think <laughs> since you asked why we should care, well we should care because Latvia is is uh, central also when it comes to the political ongoings nowadays when we look into Ukraine. So, Thank you for mentioning that, Laura, and we'll go more into the details of this uh, after the music break. <laughs> You're listening to Radio UF, Studentradio 98.9. Today we're talking about Latvian politics, and the song you just heard was Slutrup with Aki. And before the break, we sort of tapped into the fragmentation of Latvian politics, which Laura mentioned. And, well, we sort of discussed during the break here that the lifespan of political parties in Latvia is, seems to be incredibly short because we had seven parties in the last election with seven uh, parties this time as well. But we have three completely new parties. And David, you're really keen to ask a question about this, aren't you? Yes, uh, I was wondering, because there is a five uh, percentage limit for parties to get in. So, But if you compare it to Sweden, where it's only 4%, uh, we don't have that many new parties usually. And how uh, is this unusual for uh, Latvian elections? Um, <clears throat> no, since the regaining of independence, um, the number of parties that actually get into parliament has ranged from a low of five to a high of nine. So somewhere between six or seven is usually around what is the norm. Um, but before the 5% barrier was introduced in the 1990s, the interwar period was even worse. Um, in the, For example, in the 1928 parliamentary elections, there were 120 lists that were competing, and 28 of them actually got elected, most of them with one member of parliament each. So making coalitions, as you can imagine, was a complete nightmare. Wow. Uh, an external <laughs> um, 
observer at the time called it Latvian parliamentary democracy was democracy gone to seed. And it was completely unworkable. And this is one of the explanations for why in 1934 Latvia did the thing that some other countries did and went to an authoritarian uh, presidential regime. So in order to avoid that, they introduced this 5% uh, threshold. Now, that doesn't mean that behind these seven lists, there's only seven parties, because actually quite a few of these are electoral coalitions as well. And uh, to what extent is this, when the uh, Latvian people choose uh, three new parties and kick out three old ones, is that reflective of uh, changing preferences in the politics, or is it just uh, because of the parties? I would say that this is actually one of the, the characteristics of an relatively immature democratic culture. I've participated in every uh, election since 1993, and almost every time new parties have been created with the populistic sort of idea that the old elites are corrupt, vote for us, a new broom will sweep clean. And for most times, actually, this sort of populistic anti-elitist line has won over enough of the votes that sometimes these new parties are even um, the biggest uh, factions in the parliament. So this is a, a constant trend, this sort of populistic, don't vote for the old, vote for the new, even if it's the same political actors behind these parties. Um, Latvian voters distrust the political elite so much that they will vote for new parties, whatever their form. And so in this particular election, since you mentioned this, these sort of populist tendencies in Latvian politics, uh, and we also know that Latvia is a multilinguistic state, so we also have a Russian-speaking minority in the country, and I read that the province Latgale was very, or that there was a Russian-speaking party that had a pretty big chunk of the votes there. Do you have anything brief to say on that? Or maybe not. We'll continue with that after the music break, perhaps, to keep the suspense. <laughs> My name is Jana and you're listening to Radio UF, Student Radio 98,9. And the song that you just heard was Coquette by Oi. Um, before the break, we touched upon the remarkable state of Latvian politics and the very remarkable lifespan of its many parties, um, which nonetheless brought us into the issue of cleavages in the country and into the Russian-speaking minority So, Matthew Cott, could you please tell us more about um, this minority and the cleavages uh, briefly that we see in Latvian politics today? Mm-hmm. Okay, as as I mentioned, Latvia regained its independence. And um, so the doctrine of state continuity meant that Latvia already had its own um, body of citizens from the interwar period, um, which meant that many of those who came during the Soviet period migrated within the Soviet Union to Latvia didn't automatically get citizenship, which creates a category of people who are uh, called non-citizens because when the Soviet Union ceased to exist, they were otherwise stateless. Um, This creates, for obvious reasons, a certain amount of tension, but it also is the case that a large number of uh, Russian speakers and other ethnic minorities in the country could trace some sort of connection or ancestry back to the interwar Um, republic, so they got citizenship. But there is a very strong dichotomy in the party system up to now that there are so-called Latvian parties and so-called Russian parties. Um, And the Latvian parties can represent a variety 
of ideologies, but often it's sort of center-right or, or conservative. Some of them are more nationalist. Some of them are more sort of social liberal. There's been several attempts to create social democratic parties, but these are the Latvian parties, and they tend to keep the so-called Russian parties in a cordon sanitaire. The Russian parties, so-called, tend to be ones that have more representation of uh, ethnic Russians and other minorities. They tend to be more open to, for example, official bilingualism in the country. They tend to be uh, more pressing on the matters of minority education and resolving the question of non-citizens. And they tend to also have a more positive view of relations to Russia, whereas the Latvian parties have always been very Europe-oriented, pushing integration into the European Union, pushing integration into NATO. This is the so-called um, discourse of Latvia's return to Europe. So this, this sort of gulf, this chasm between the, the so-called Latvian parties and the, and the Russian parties has been a very salient feature. Um, the Russian parties ideologically often label themselves as socialist or social democratic. For example, the party Harmony called itself social democratic, but in its actual policies was not very social democratic in any way that we would recognize from the Nordic uh, context. Um, they had just as much problems with corruption and oligarchs and things like that as the other parties. Right, and uh, there seems to be an infinite reservoir of things to say on the topic of cleavages in Latvian and minority politics, uh, and we're going to continue talking about this and about other personal figures after the music breaks. You're listening to Radio UF, the song you heard was Eggshells by Dead. Um, and from death comes life, perhaps, and there seems to be a big rotation in Latvian politics like we've been covering during this episode. And, well, um, we sort of addressed here in the break that younger vo younger voters um, tend to have a different voting pattern. And so I think all of us are very curious uh, with regards to overcoming both ethnic cleavages, but also perhaps the trauma of the USSR to give uh, room and air for new political movements to take hold. What do you have to say about that, Matthew? Um, <clears throat> yes, as I mentioned before, a lot of the so-called Latvian parties tend to be either liberal or, or conservative or even nationalist. Um, but it's not necessarily the case that the majority of the population would prefer that type of politics. Um, the, if you do look at sociological surveys like the European Values Survey and things like that, many Latvian uh, inhabitants w would say that they prefer the kinds of things that we would identify with, for example, uh, a social democratic welfare state. But as you mentioned, the, the legacy of the Soviet Union and everything that smacks of socialism is considered toxic in the sort of political discourse. But I do think that now 30 years on, for example, with the 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 success of the progressive party, which I mentioned, which is a party that explicitly says Latvia should be a Scandinavian-style welfare state, that's the kind of thing that 
a lot of young people are attracted to because um, things like austerity and neoliberal economic policies that were the rule of the day for getting into the European Union now have run their course and people want a slightly different future. So I think that this is the kind of thing that can breach this sort of ethnic divide of pseudo-socialist Russian parties and sort of uh, right-wing parties in the so-called Latvian bloc and that you can have a broader spectrum of real um, uh, ideological choices that are not based on this old um, separate but equal idea of you know Latvian parties versus Russian parties. We sort of mentioned here in between the frequencies that um, personal status matters for some people that are running for office and that if politics can fun- function as a vehicle for personal power. And so then there are the examples of... Um, for instance, like Ivar Slimbergs and other controversial candidates. Do you have something brief to tell us about them? Yes. I mean, Latvia also has its oligarchs, and, and many parties have been vehicles for oligarchs to gain control of the levers of power. The, Einar Schlesers, who's Latvia first party, got in this time. This is about his fourth or fifth party that he's created. And like Trump, he presents himself as a man of the people, even though he's one of the richest people in the country. And we've had other parties in the past that were, you know, very uh, colorful individual politicians using their charisma to gain power. As I mentioned before, in 1996, there was Joachim Zigerist, who literally went around the countryside handing out bananas, and his People's Movement for Latvia became the largest faction in party in parliament because of this. So now we'll go from bananas to a short music break. This is Radio UF, Student Radio 98,9, and the song that was just played was Hungry for Love by LF System. And before this break, we touched a bit upon trends and tendencies that we may see in Latvian politics. And so uh, that brings us to the issue of or topic of new unity as a party and what the future of Latvian politics may hold. So I open up the floor for discussion Matthew, any spontaneous no, insights? I mean, it's, it's very interesting because uh, New Unity, which is a revamped version of the Unity Party, which has dominated this sort of um, center-right of Latvian politics for a decade or more, if you look at their predecessors, um, they went from being the smallest faction in the parliament to being over 22% of the vote and therefore the core of the new coalition government. Um, They also are the party of the last prime minister, which usually helps. Um, In times of crisis, incumbents usually get um, sympathy. But there's been, I mean, unity is one of those safe pairs of hands in times of crisis. Previous unity prime minister was Valdis Dombrovskis, the longest serving prime minister in Latvia since regaining independence. Valdis Dombrovskis then went on to be European commissioner for, I think, the internal market or something like that. So he was the one who implemented austerity during the global economic crisis, and the people voted him back in. So I think the, the, the rise of unity is an idea that the people of Latvia want stability in a world where you've got war in the neighborhood, you've got energy crisis in a country that produces very little of its own energy, and you've got economic chaos and uh, inflation in a country with a very small uh, market of its own. So I think that the vote for uh, the the new unity party is um, 
really a crisis vote where people want stability and a safe pair of hands running the, the, the government. Safe pair of hands, indeed. And Laura, you waved your hand in a safe <laughs> manner. So is there a question you'd like to ask concerning this? Yeah, I, w I would like to ask the question because I totally agree with the opinion that Latvian people voted for experienced political forces here in or that, yeah, the victory of uh, new unity is a sign for for this desire. But it's also, um, there is this kind of opinion that also the victory of new unity might, in fact, um, widen the division between ethnic Russians or the Russian-speaking community in Latvia and, and Latvians um, because of the Russian foreign, po or the foreign policy when it comes to, to Russians that the um, party has followed so far. Would you agree with that? Is there a tendency? Since uh, New Unity is one of the old sort of Latvian bloc of parties, is a question, how do they keep harmony out of government how do they, when they're so big, when they're bigger than the others? Well, the thing is that the Latvians usually cobbled, to, the Latvian parties usually cobbled together a coalition that really cut across um, ideological uh, boundaries. So you could have the far-right National Alliance sitting with the center-right um, uh, unity, and you could have... Uh, uh, social liberal parties like like four all in the same coalition just to keep the Russians out. So there is a danger that even if the new populist party for stability represents a significant portion of the Russophone vote in the parliament, that they'll be also kept out of government. There will be no government of national unity. Instead, unity will create more polarization, oddly enough. And so in, if we're talking about the future, are there any broader tendencies that we could see for the Baltic region as a whole, where Latvian politics sort of act as a precursor or some sort of telling tale? Um, Latvian politics are going to be very much affected by European politics, by uh, the expansion of NATO. The Balts are very much for Sweden's ent and Finland's entry into NATO because it strengthens their security. Um, this block that stretches from Finland down to Poland and includes all three Baltics could potentially become a stronger voice internally within the European Union vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia and four supporting countries in the European neighborhood like Ukraine. So all in all, it seems like Latvia may gain a stronger voice in politics, according to Matthew Cott. And it's time for another music break. You're listening to Radio UF, the song that was just played was uh, Thick of the Honey by Phaser Days, which is the last tune before we sum up what we've been talking about today, which is Latvian national politics. And so we've uh, had a very constructive and fruitful and rich discussion here today. Um, as we could conclude, or as Matthew phrased very well in the break, was that we have a situation of sort of same, same, but different. Uh, that kind of instance is indeed what's guiding Latvian politics uh, today. And um, we learned a lot about the interwar period and about the um, hectic uh, makeup and changes of Latvian politics where people will hand out bananas or <laughs> use their um, position as an oligarch to attain power. But those days seem to be changing. New winds are blowing over Europe. And uh, 
people seem to be striving for overcoming ethnic and linguistic cleavages in the country. The USSR is not this big, perhaps scary ghost anymore, but something that you can actually deal with constructively. And so uh, a new future appears to uh, dawn upon Latvian politics. Uh, and unfortunately, this is also taking place amidst a war in Ukraine. So what that has to offer uh, remains for future discussion and debacle. Um, and having said that, I would like to thank everyone, especially Matthew Cott, for coming in here from IRIS, um, being a very knowledgeable historian uh, who's definitely sparked my interest in Baltic, uh, Baltic politics even more now that we have this talk. And uh, everyone else may perhaps also thank themselves for their great effort in this episode today. <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you a lot. It was very interesting. And I think it's a shame that Swedish people, uh, which is, uh, I mean, Sweden is a Baltic state and we don't have a lot of general knowledge about Latvia. Scandinavian or Baltic, that remains up for debate. And uh, with David having said that point, uh, I would like to say thank you myself and encourage you guys to follow us on Instagram at Radio UF. Thank you very much. Du har lyssnat på en podcast från Studentradio 98,9. Alla våra poddar och program hittar du på studentradio.com eller där poddar finns. Kom ihåg, att lyssna fritt är stort. Att lyssna rätt är större.